Please turn back in your Bibles to the passage we read earlier in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. Second Chronicles chapter 6. And our subject and my title of the sermon tonight is Encouragements to Corporate Prayer. I have in mind the Wednesday evening prayer meeting when we gather here for corporate prayer. You members of the church, I know, are very diligent in your attendance, earnest in your desire to pray. And so, because prayer is always a labor, there are always efforts, commitment, discipline involved in prayer. There are always discouragements to it, obstacles and difficulties in the way that must be overcome. So tonight, as we continue to persevere in our efforts in corporate prayer, we need some encouragements for it. I have three points tonight. The promise of prayer in God's house, the priority of prayer, and the power of prayer. So in the first place tonight, the promise of prayer. I focus on just one promise in regarding prayer. We have many promises in the scriptures, in the Psalms, and Jesus gives us himself many promises, but we think tonight especially of the promise of God in regard to prayer in God's house. And we find this here in 2 Chronicles and chapter 6. Now back in chapter 5, the Ark of the Covenant has been brought up into the temple The Shekinah glory has descended and the priests were unable to enter into the house. We see at the end of chapter 5, verse 14 there. And what has happened here is that God, the people of God, have settled in the land of Canaan and God has now built himself a house. And so the question is, what is the great purpose of God's house and what is central in his house and what is the great promise that Solomon prays for in this dedication prayer that begins here in chapter 6 and verse 12. We begin looking here at verse 14. His prayer begins, a prayer of dedication of the house. And we read down in verse 20 and 21. Solomon prays that thine eyes may be open toward this house day and night, Toward the place of which thou hast said, Thou wouldst put thy name there to listen to the prayer which thy servants shall pray toward this place, and listen to the supplication of thy servant and of thy people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear thou from thy dwelling place from heaven, hear thou and forgive. At the end of verse 21, God's dwelling place is in heaven, and we saw back in the in chapter in verse 2 of this chapter that his dwelling place was also in the temple so god has two dwelling places his majestic dwelling place in heaven and his special dwelling place in his house 
And we see in the beginning of verse 20 that Solomon prays that his eyes would be open to the house day and night. And then at the end of verse 20, his ears would be open for what purpose? To listen to the prayers of thy servant that they shall pray toward this place. And then again in verse 21, listen to the supplication of thy servant and of thy people Israel when they pray toward this place. So Solomon is requesting here that the Lord would always be the God of heaven who hears the prayers made in his house. We see a similar thing now in verses 24 and 25. And if thy people Israel are defeated before any enemy, because they have sinned against thee, they return to thee and confess thy name and pray and make supplication before thee in this house, then hear thou from heaven and forgive the sin of thy people Israel and bring them back to the land which thou hast given to them and to their fathers. And so here once again, we see this request that in the house, the Lord would hear the prayers of his people. This pattern now continues throughout the entire prayer of dedication so that in whatever need the people of God ever find themselves in, if they pray, the Lord will hear them. We see this again in verse 26, at the end of verse 26, that if they pray and confess thy name, then in the beginning of verse 27, thou hear, then hear thou in heaven and forgive the sin of thy servants and thy people Israel. We see it again down in verse 29 and 30. Whatever prayer or supplication is made by any man or by all thy people Israel, each knowing his own affliction and his own pain and spreading his hands toward this house, then hear thou from heaven thy dwelling place and forgive and render to each according to all his ways. We see the same thing again, verse 35, beginning of rather the end of verse 32, that when they come and pray toward this house, then hear thou from heaven thy dwelling place. Again in verse 35, then hear thou from heaven their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. And then even if they are taken captive into a foreign land and they return, we see down in verse 30. Nine, then hear thou from heaven thy dwelling place, their prayer and supplication, and maintain their cause and forgive thy people who have sinned against thee. And so what we have throughout this entire prayer of Solomon is a request that the Lord would hear the prayers of his people when they are offered either in the house of God here in Jerusalem, or if they are far away, if those prayers are made toward this house. And so it is a request here that in the center of everything that takes place in God's house is prayer. So that in whatever need, whatever trouble, danger the people of God ever find themselves in, if they pray in this house, God will look down from heaven with special favor upon them, the prayers of his house, and he will hear those prayers and answer according to their supplications. So what Solomon is praying is that the house of God on earth would be a house of prayer. 
Now we see in chapter 7 that the Lord accepted Solomon's prayer. We read in chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Now when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering, and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. Then we read down in verse 12 of this chapter. On this very night after they offered more sacrifices at the great feast of dedication. Then we read in verse 12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer. And have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain. Or if I command the locusts to devour the land. Or if I send pestilence among the people. And my people who are called by my name. Humble themselves and pray. And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. And will forgive their sins. And will heal their land. Now my eyes shall be open. And my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house. That my name may be there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. So the Lord here promises that everything Solomon has asked back in chapter 6 that the house of God would be a house of prayer where the Lord would hear. The Lord now says that he will do so in every affliction that the people of God may come into. When they come to this house and they pray, the Lord will hear them and answer them from heaven. Special promises given here in regard to the prayers that are offered in God's house The Lord says in verse 15 in regard to this house and to the prayers that are offered. He says, my eyes shall be open and my ears shall be attentive to the prayer offered in this place. In verse 16, he says, for I have chosen this place. I have consecrated this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. So we know from the rest of our Bibles that surely the Lord hears the prayers of his people in every place. In the tents of the Israelites, in their homes where they were gathered as families, the Lord would hear their prayers there. But here we have special promises given to the house of God. And in these verses, the Lord says things that he would not say of any other place. That my eyes and my my heart are perpetually here. My ears opened and inclined to hear the prayers that are offered in my house on earth. The great temple has been built. And what is the great purpose of God's temple? It is that prayers would be offered to him from his house. And he would have special regard for those prayers. And hear and answer his people. We know what happened with this old covenant in these days. The people of Israel eventually turned away 
into sins and that entire covenant and all really of God's desire for his people in this old covenant failed. The temple in Jerusalem itself was ultimately destroyed so that all of God's intentions here came to naught because of the sins and the disobedience of his people. And a new covenant had to be made and he promised that new covenant in the prophets Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the other prophets, and he also uh, promised it in the book of Isaiah. And so we'll turn to the book of Isaiah now, Isaiah chapter 56. Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 6 and 7. Also the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. Now in this chapter, in this section of Isaiah's prophecy, he is looking forward to the time of the gospel after the coming of the Messiah. Salvation will go to all the nations of the earth. And so he speaks here in the beginning of verse 6 of the foreigners who will join themselves to the Lord. Before the coming of Christ, the Gentiles were regarded as unclean, but now the foreigners, the Gentiles, will be acceptable and they will join themselves to the Lord by faith. And when they do so, he says, they will minister to him and they will love the name of the Lord and they will be his servants and they will worship him and keep his Sabbath. And then he says in the beginning of verse 7, This is what God says that he will do. He says, I will bring them to my holy mountain, which refers to his holy house. His house upon the mountain. He will bring them in. And when he brings them in, they will be joyful. He says, in my house of prayer, they will offer burnt offerings and sacrifices, which in the new covenant are the sacrifices of worship and prayer. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. Now he is speaking of the foreigners here. The Gentiles. And if we think about everything that he is saying that they will do. They will minister to the Lord. They will be his servants. They will be brought into his holy mountain. Into his house. Into his temple. And they will have sacrifices that they will bring. And those sacrifices will be especially sacrifices of prayer. What the Lord is saying in this passage is that he will make his new covenant people to be priests. Everything that he is speaking of here is the function of priests in the old covenant. But now as he looks forward to the new covenant, all the peoples, all that he brings in, they will all be priests. They will all be brought into his holy temple. They will minister to him. They will serve him. And they will bring sacrifices and prayer to him. We notice this is what 
Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 in verse 5, he says, For you are a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. So this passage is fulfilled in the new covenant. We notice in verse 7 that two times he calls his house, my house. They will be brought into his house. It is my house because he has built the house and he has purchased his house and the Lord Jesus has purchased it by his own blood. He says, I will make them joyful in my house because I will give them the Holy Spirit and they will see the answer to their prayers. And two times in verse 7, he says, my house will be a house of prayer because it is his house and so he should be able to make it whatever he desires it to be and central in his house will be that his priests all his people will come and they will have this great privilege and this great responsibility to bring prayer to him in the old covenant the priests brought animal sacrifices in the new covenant they will bring sacrifices of prayer into his house. At the end of verse 7, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples as they are brought in to his house. So this here is an encouragement to us in these passages that we have seen because this is God's design for his house. And this is what he desires and what he is most pleased with in his house is to have his people come and pray. Prayer is what distinguishes his house. Prayer is what sets his house apart from all other places on the earth because prayer is especially made there and his ears, his eyes are attentive to those prayers. I will make them joyful in my house of prayer and my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. So what has happened here in Isaiah's day is that God's purpose back in Second Chronicles at the dedication of the house of God in Solomon's day, that purpose of God's house being a house of prayer that has failed because the old covenant has failed. And Isaiah here knows that the destruction of that temple is coming. And so the Lord is looking forward to the days of the gospel when the Messiah will come and he will establish a new temple which will be his church. And what he is saying here is that that desire for Solomon's temple where God was so willing and eager to hear the prayers of his people, that desire which failed then will now be fulfilled in his new covenant church. And in that house, it will be a house of prayer, and there his desires will be fulfilled. Jesus quotes this verse at the end of verse 7. He quotes it in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 13. We'll turn there, Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21 and verse 12 and 13. Jesus entered the temple and cast out those who were buying and selling in the temple. 
And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. Jesus cleansed the temple here, casting out those who were buying and selling, overturning the tables of the money changers. What zeal and holy violence was this? For one man, for one man, to cast out a whole band of men, Roman soldiers and the temple guard stood by idle and there was nothing that any man could do. And Jesus was filled with such zeal and strength to do this. Why? He explains in verse 13, this is why he did it. He says, it is written. It is written in the Old Testament scriptures and once it is written, it can never be changed. And he quotes from Isaiah 56 and verse 7, My house shall be called a house of prayer. So the Son of God has come down from heaven. And that purpose, which was to take place in the dedication of Solomon's temple, that temple has been destroyed The Son of God now comes and declares that it is still God's purpose and it will be fulfilled and he cleanses the temple to show it that his house will be a house of prayer. We turn to, we come to our second point tonight. We've seen the promise of prayer. Now we want to see the priority of prayer, or we might even think of this as the fulfillment of the promise. And we find this in First Peter chapter, First Timothy chapter two. The priority of prayer, First Timothy and chapter two. First Timothy chapter two and verses one through three. He says, first of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our savior. Now, Paul was writing to Timothy, who was a young pastor in Ephesus, and Paul is writing to him to tell him how the house of God should be ordered. And we see that in chapter 3 and verse 15. Chapter 3 and verse 15. Paul tells Timothy why he is writing. He says, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, in God's house which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. So this is the purpose why he is writing. So back in chapter 2 and verse 1, what Paul is telling Timothy is how the house of God should be ordered. And in that first phrase there in chapter 2 verse 1, he says, first of all, what he means is, Timothy, I am telling you what is to be of the highest and the primary importance in God's house. 
First of all, he means that which is foremost and most prominent, that which should be regarded with the highest dignity is the public prayers of the church. And he goes on to mention the various parts of prayer. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties, prayers, petitions, thanks and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. Prayers are to be made even for kings, he says there in verse 2, for kings and all who are in authority in order that we might lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness. The prayers of the church can affect the entire nation. And whether a people are governed by tyranny or oppression, or whether they have peace and tranquility in the land. Here are the lowly members of the church. They will never meet the king. They may never even see the king or come near the king. But they have more influence over the king than his advisors that sit around his table because their prayers go to the king of all kings who rules over kings and turns their hearts. And so they can cry to, the, to God in heaven for the king of the land and they can turn the entire land. They have great power in their prayers. And so, what is taking place here when he says, first of all, goes back to that passage in the dedication of Solomon's temple, God's desire there for his house to be a house of prayer, which failed. And then the prophets look forward to the new covenant. And that desire continued with the Son of God when he came into the world and now Paul writes to Timothy and he is telling us that that same desire is still there in God's heart as he looks down upon his new covenant temple, which is the church. First of all, he says, first of all, that same desire continues that thou wilt hear from heaven the prayers of his people that are made from that house. If the Lord would hear the prayers made in Solomon's house that was built with dead stones, then how much more will he hear the prayers that are made in the New Testament house of God that is made with living stones? If he was so eager to hear the prayers in that house that was built by human hands, then how much more eager is he to hear the prayers made in that house which has been purchased by the blood of Jesus and built by the power of the Holy Spirit? Of how much greater is this house in the new covenant than that house that Solomon built in Jerusalem? And so as we gather for prayer, This is where his name is today. My eyes will look down from heaven. He says, my heart is there perpetually, continually. I have chosen it. I have consecrated it where my name is. This is the house of the new covenant. And this is where he is so eager to hear the prayers of his people.
So when we gather on Wednesday evenings for prayer, this is the house of prayer is always, the church is always the house of prayer on the Lord's Day as well. It is always true, but I think especially of our Wednesday night prayer meetings. When we gather on Wednesday nights, we are not gathering for a man-made purpose. And we are not gathering because we desire a religious meeting in the middle of the week. And we have made an excuse for it. And it is not something that has come out of our own minds by which we have created our own good work and in vain hope we present our good work to the Lord and ask him perhaps he will bless it. No. But we are gathering for what he himself has appointed and what is most important in his eyes and for the primary purpose even of his house. It is what he is most pleased with and what is most precious to him as he looks down from heaven and we gather ourselves for prayer, we can be sure that he rejoices to see his people as they gather and seek to fulfill his word and to fulfill his will. And we should rejoice in it ourselves because this is what he desires in heaven, that he would hear the prayers of his people. I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. And my house shall be called a house of prayer. So we've seen the promise of prayer, the priority of prayer, the fulfillment really of the promise. And we come in the third place tonight to the power of prayer. The power of prayer surely does not come from anything in us. All the power of it comes from the Lord and who he is. And so what I wish to do is to draw some contrast between ourselves and the Lord and then apply them to prayer so that we would see more clearly the great power of prayer. The first contrast is that with us there is weakness, but with God there is infinite power. We gather on Wednesday night for prayer meeting. We have our routine that we go through. We read the requests of prayer requests. We bow our heads. We speak. We offer prayers from the human perspective, from what men can see, nothing could be of greater weakness than such a meeting as that. And if that was as far as prayer went, just some words being spoken in a building, they would be right. But the promise of prayer is that our prayers ascend to the throne of the mighty God in heaven and they are heard And they are answered by him, by the God of infinite power, who has strength in himself to bring to pass whatsoever he wills in heaven and upon earth. And there is no one who can stop his hand. To be God is, by definition, 
to have infinite power. And his throne is a throne of power. And from his throne, he rules in absolute sovereignty over everything that takes place, great and small. He rules kings and nations. And a sparrow cannot fall from the tree apart from him. And he numbers the hairs upon our heads. He is the God of omnipotence. And he is the one who has promised to hear our prayers. The psalmist said in Psalm 135 and verse 5, I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatsoever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all the deeps. Psalm 62 and verse 11. Once God has spoken twice, I have heard this, that power belongs to God. And Jesus said, all authority, all power in heaven and upon earth has been given to me. And the saints in heaven Rejoice, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. So power belongs to God. We can turn in our Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And in the first Part of this chapter, Peter and John have been arrested and thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. They spent the previous, they spent the night in jail. Then they were brought out before the Sanhedrin, the court of the Jews. The next morning they were threatened that they would no longer preach in the name of Jesus anymore. It was the beginning of a persecution against the early church. And then when they are released, Then we read in verse 23 and 24. And when they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is thou who didst make the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. So as soon as Peter and John are released, their natural response was to gather with their brethren and they gave the report of what the Sanhedrin had threatened. And what do we see in verse 24? What was the first thing that they did? The brethren, when they heard this, what did they do? They lifted their voice to God in one accord. They immediately went to the Lord in prayer. That was the first thing that they did. And what was the first thing they uttered in prayer at the end of verse 24? They said, O Lord, it is thou who dost create the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. So they were looking to God, the God of the creation, the God of Genesis chapter 1. The God who has such great and glorious power that all he needed to do was speak and it was done. And the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them was created by his power. These disciples here 
where the picture of helplessness and weakness before their enemies who surrounded them. They were in danger. The Sanhedrin had soldiers and they could arrest any of the disciples at will. The Romans had thousands of soldiers and King Herod could had authority to put disciples to death and he would do so soon. These disciples were in great danger. And what was their defense? What was their only defense? To gather together in a prayer meeting? That would seem to be the most pitiful weakness. But it was the most powerful thing that they could do because the God they prayed to was the God of infinite power who could protect them from all their dangers. What they are saying here in verse 24 as they lift up their voice is they are saying, O Lord, with us, with us there is only weakness, but with you there is infinite power. The God who can create all things. The God who rules all things. The God who can rescue his people from every danger and trouble that they might find themselves in. In the next chapter, the apostles will be arrested again, put in jail. An angel of the Lord will come in the night and deliver them. In chapter 12, Peter will be put in prison, about to be executed. The church will be praying to the same glorious God. An angel will come and do the same for him. We remember many deliverances in the scripture. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace, and Daniel from the lion's den. This is the God that they prayed to who could do such glorious things. And he met every need they had here as we read down in verse 29 through 31. They said, And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that thy bondservants may speak thy word with all confidence. In other words, if God wanted to take away the persecution, he would do so. We'll leave that in his hands. Only, Lord, give us the strength that we might do what we should do. While thou dost extend thy hand to heal and signs and wonders take place, through the name of thy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. So we pray for brethren often in this church who are in very grave danger, their lives in peril even tonight. And there is nothing that we or any other man can do for them. But the God of power is able to defend them, rescue them in whatever way he wills. We pray for people from this church who are in such terrible situations. We wonder how can they still be alive? 
How? The answer is the God in heaven is able to cover them with his protection, to hide them under the shadow of his wings and to preserve their lives. So when we come to pray on Wednesday night, we should always be conscious of this, that however weak we appear to be, we are weak, but he is powerful and he is able to do great and mighty things. With us there is weakness, with him there is all power. A second contrast tonight is that we are finite, but God is omnipresent. When I say finite, we are here located in this one place where we live in Rochester, New York. And what can we do for those who we pray for, who are in distant lands, even to the ends of the earth? We cannot travel there and meet with them, and if we did, we would not know what to do for them anyway. But we can pray to the God of heaven who is omnipresent, present in every place with all of his being at every moment, Psalm 139, David speaks of that no matter where he went, even to the remotest parts of the earth, that he could never escape God's presence. He is the God of all the nations. He fills the heavens and the earth. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, says the Lord. And because of the omnipresence of God, we can pray from this little place for brethren in the farthest ends of the earth, in South America, in India, in the Middle East, in China, in Europe, in every place. Because he is there in every place and he is able to help with his power. So this shows us the great power of prayer that we are finite, but he is the God who is omnipresent. A third contrast is that we do not know, but God has all wisdom. I mean, we do not know what is most needed and what we should what should be done to help other believers in their needs. We desire to do good and we would desire to give whatever relief we could, but we do not know what is truly needed in every circumstance. But the God that we pray to does because he has all knowledge, all wisdom. He knows what is best for his people in every circumstance and danger that he is in. And he is gracious to hear our prayers. And though we may pray for one thing, He knows something else is best and he will give it to them in answer to our prayers. Jesus said, What man is there among you? When his son shall ask him for a loaf, will give him a stone. Or if he shall ask for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? And so that's what takes place when we pray to the great God of power, the God who is omnipresent. 
He is also the God of all wisdom, and he is able to hear and give what is good and best in every circumstance. A fourth contrast is that we have no resources, but God has all things. Even if we knew what was needed and what was best, we would not be able to give it because our, because our resources are so limited. We do not have what is needed. The great God of heaven has all things at his disposal. And he is able to provide whatever is necessary at any time, in any place. All things in heaven, all things on earth belong to him. And he gives to whomever he wills. When King David gathered the materials for the building of the temple... First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 11, he said, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power. And then he said, Indeed, everything, everything that is in the heavens and on the earth belongs to you. Riches, honor, rule, and power comes from him. James said, Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So we do not have resources in our weakness, but the God of heaven has all things that are needed for his people. A fifth thing we should think about is that though we are few, God still hears our prayers. Someone might say perhaps that, or they might think, That God hears the prayers of large churches where great multitudes of people are gathered. And when there's a small church and just a few, well, there's a place where perhaps the God of heaven will really have no regard and not hear their prayers. They will be looked over. It is not true. We turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. Matthew, chapter 18. And verse 19 and 20, Jesus said here, verse 19, he said, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Jesus speaks here in the context, in this context, in regard to his church. He mentions it two times back in verse 17. In verse 19, he gives this most gracious promise in regard to prayer that when his church is reduced to the smallest possible number, they still have great power with God in prayer. He says there in verse 19, again I say to you that if two of you, that's all it takes, two of you gathered together, the smallest and weakest of all gatherings, if two of you agree in unity on earth, if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, anything that they may ask in prayer according to the word and the will of God, he says, it shall be done for them. They shall have their requests. And who shall do it for them? He says, by my Father who is in heaven. We are on earth and his Father 
Our Father is in heaven, and yet he hears the prayers of even two of his gathered people. Notice Jesus calls God my Father who is in heaven. Who could better know how the great God will respond to the prayers of his believing people on earth than Jesus, the Son of God? He had been with the Father from eternity. He knew the Father. And surely, he would know how the Father would respond to the prayers of even the weakest and the smallest possible gatherings of his church on earth. And Jesus makes this promise that it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. So we are on earth, we are weak, despised perhaps by men, Such a small gathering, but our Father who is in heaven takes great delight to hear the prayers of his people. And when we come to him in our corporate prayer meetings and we call upon him through his beloved Son, Jesus Christ, he will hear and he will answer our prayers. How gracious Jesus is here to small churches in that he mentions in verse 19 and in verse 20, he mentions the numbers. He specifically gives numbers of the smallest possible gatherings. If he did not, I can imagine men endlessly arguing how many are necessary at a gathering of a church prayer meeting for the God of heaven to hear their prayers. Do you know that men in the Middle Ages used to argue about how many angels can stand on the head of a needle? That was a debate. How many angels can stand on the head of a needle? They argued endlessly about it, some men. And if Jesus did not give the specific numbers here, men would endlessly argue, well, how many are actually necessary for us to be heard by the great God of power, the God who is omnipresent, and the God of all wisdom? But Jesus has put an end to all such discussions, and he has told us the smallest, weakest gatherings are still powerful with God in heaven. If two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. So the Son of God has given this promise. He has come down from heaven to give us this promise. And this same Savior is now at the right hand of God back in heaven. And he is the great intercessor and the head over all things to the church. He will never neglect this promise He will fulfill it for all of his believing people. So our last contrast tonight is that we are mortal, but God is eternal. When we pray, we pray for big things of the kingdom of God so often. We are praying for great things that are so far above us that belong to an eternal kingdom and Sometimes we pray for things, but we do not see the answer for them now. 
But it may very well be that our prayers will be answered after we have died and are gone. Because God in heaven is eternal. We are here for a brief time, but he is in heaven for eternity through all the ages of this world. And our prayers ascend, the book of Revelations tells us, like the bowl of incense. They rise before God in heaven. And who are we to think that our prayers cannot rise before him at whatever time he wills and he will answer them in the years to come? So for these reasons... We have much encouragement to gather on Wednesday night and to anticipate our times of prayer together because we are weak and he is so strong and powerful. We are so limited. He is omnipresent. He has all wisdom. He has all resources. And he is the eternal and great God. We do not know what great things have already been done by the prayers offered in this church. And we do not know what great things will be done in the future. So God help us to persevere and to rejoice. And may he make us joyful in his house of prayer. John Newton wrote in his hymn, and we'll sing it in just a moment. Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. None can ever ask too much. Let's pray. Father and gracious God in heaven, thank you for your holy word. Thank you for the willingness of our heavenly father to hear our prayers. His great desire through all the centuries to have a house of prayer. And may it be fulfilled even here in our small gathering and small church. May you be pleased to do great and mighty things. And may you hear us and answer us as you have promised. We thank you now. We pray that you would bless your word to us and encourage our hearts in every good thing. In Jesus' name, amen.